Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Yes, with a not-so-uplifting thought this Thanksgiving. At least how I see it. Now, I'll put that up front. We've got time for you to join us at 503-506-0396 inside or outside North America and on Skype at ITP51. It is all systems go as far as that is concerned. However, Thanksgiving this year was supposed to be a whole lot better than it has the last few years as we inch our way, and I say inch our way because it seems when we take a step forward, we are taking uh, two steps back or two steps forward, one step back when it comes to getting out of the pandemic. But now we have an entirely different situation. It seems to be more signs are appearing just about every day that we are headed for an economic collapse. However, this recession is not FDIC-backed. This is not just affecting people who have investments. This is people who just have a savings, right? Imagine if you have a savings and you no longer have a savings. Uh, That's the simplest way uh, to put it. We may be on the brink of something very, very serious that is happening right now when it comes to uh, money and whether or not it is backed by a regulatory agency. We know that when we take money to the bank or we pull money out of the bank, 
We are generally covered. The FDIC guarantees that that money is real and will back the bank in case they get underwater, so to speak. And we've seen bailouts of the banks, of course. Don't even get me started on that. Uh, But also it affects uh, those who may be subject to fraud. People who have been able to siphon money out of accounts fraudulently, those victims are able to generally get their money back. Sometimes they don't, uh, but for the most part, they do. And so those investments are backed FDIC. There is currently no regulatory or anything really backing up cryptocurrency, which, of course, if you're aware, has really headed south of late. Uh, We've been keeping our eyes on the program for many months, in fact. Our last program is session bit by bit, and now here we are on the brink. Of course, we've warned of days like uh, exactly this, just like this. In fact, eerily similar scenarios dozens uh, of times on this program. Back even in the early part of the pandemic, we were really talking some New World Order kind of stuff, which was really kind of ahead of its time. But now people do believe that there is some cabal behind this. It needs to be brought to light. There's a lot at play here, and if you see the signs like I see the signs, if you have uh, actually been one of these people who have been victimized by the situation with FTX, by all means, 503-506-0396 on uh, Inside or Outside North America or ITP51 for Skype callers internationally. I would love to hear from you. We've talked about, you know, the hacking of, well, pipelines, to name a few, but other main artilleries and how cryptocurrency has been used uh, in cases to pay ransom and how that could lead to some regulation. I think regulation uh, is needed in the current day and age that we live in considering what has happened with some of these you know massive companies who in some cases have gone to gone from billions of dollars to bankrupt like that and there are some very drastic effects that happen when that uh, that that take place when that happens i mean i see the signs perhaps you see the signs uh, that is, if you if you can get out and look, because if you just take others' word for it, you're not going to see the signs. You're not going to feel the pain yourself if you're not one of those people who is a comparative shopper, which I think most people are in this day and age, considering the inflation, we want the most bang for our buck that we can get, so we have to be comparative shoppers. But I suppose there are people out there who are still just buying whatever, and they haven't changed their spending habits, but I think they are the few. If you do look around, though, and you are aware of your surroundings, I'm not talking about those help-wanted signs. I'm not talking about the signs or the people you see near the freeway uh, exit or on-ramps or uh, whatever it is uh, asking for spare change. I'm talking about the businesses that have been 
boarded up. I'm sure you've seen those in your communities. Perhaps some have been surprising, unexpected, shocking that a a business of that kind would go out of business and maybe go out of business suddenly. Boarded up because of a variety of reasons, mostly security reasons. Others are barely surviving, so it's kind of hit and miss uh, whether or not you're going to find them open or not. And perhaps you might feel obligated to uh, support them a little bit more than the others who are making it better. But you just can't come to rely on the service because of the times. And then there's uh, many of those that are still open full time. But despite that, are, are planning their exits. And so you have entities on a variety of fronts and from and in de- many different sizes. I mean, the signs are, are pretty much all around us that... Uh, you know, by any means necessary, whoever it is, the cabal, the elite, if you want to say the new world order, that they're going to pull the strings in whatever direction favors them and only them, even if that means they they, they, they stick it to the people, you know, us, you and I, I'm not a rich guy. I don't come from a rich family. I have to work for what I can provide for myself and my family. And I'll tell you this much, if I don't go to work, I mean, we're just a couple of paychecks away from, you know, being in a, in a dire situation, as are many people. It's just the state of how things are. I don't think it is, is overkill because, I mean, we all know what, is, what has played out the last two years. Two and a half years, almost three years now. And first, of course, was the pandemic. I mean, just look at what happened then. They tried to cripple the economy by taking the customers away, putting people in their homes, telling us we had to socially distance. That meant limits on the number of people who could go into stores, especially the small ones. I really feel for those. I mean, if you're a huge, huge, uh, you know, maybe big box store or, or you have a lot of space, and you can spread out and still keep a fair amount of customers in your store, great, you might make it. But if you're not, and you have to space your customers out, and you have to enforce all of these mandates, it becomes taxing, and taxing on many fronts. So it cripples the economy on the business level. It cripples the economy on the consumer level. Because if you're at home, maybe you're lucky to have a job but you're not really feeling too comfortable, I guess, about the current situation. Or you're one of those people who have been laid off, have lost your job, and re- relying on you know bailouts and uh, stimulus money or, or whatever it is. You see, it was very, very convenient then to offer help for a problem. A problem, mind you, that was intentionally created uh, how how convenient and then inflation from food to gas uh, practically everything affected by that because of the gas prices we know gas and and the ethanol and the connection to corn and to food and how that ripples down the supply chain the gas affects when and how often shipments and deliveries are fulfilled. And so we're talking about the staples that we need to survive, 
milk, eggs, bread, bacon for some. But I think those are starters. While we're finding the prices even out of proportion. Higher prices where you'd expect them to be lower. Lower prices where you'd expect them to be higher. Better value. Better quality sort of thing. The unpredictability of going to the store not knowing whether your item's even going to be there. And it almost even it almost feels like you're better off just getting the thing online because at least they'll tell you if if they run out. So you've got businesses put out of operation throughout the pandemic. People not able to pay rent. And before some of the rent rules kicked in, and even when those rent rules were in effect, we ended up having more people on the streets. It led to you know, people squatting in abandoned properties. That creates, of course, problems in and of itself. Problem of you know, people not feeling safe in their own communities as well. You've got the criminal enterprises, the organized, organized theft that is being allowed to happen in many, many jurisdictions. You know, that is putting retailers out of business. I see it. You have to see it. Uh, Business owners just saying enough is enough. It is not worth getting robbed or murdered uh, or put out of business by government mandates. And so what is left at that point when you're out of a job, you're out of a home, you have no family or you are divided or separated from your family. Maybe you lose your will to live. All of those things have happened to many people over the last few years. And in the coming years, imagine living in a world where there were no more banks, at least not brick and mortar banks. I'm sure a lot of people might be happy about that because they wouldn't have to stand in line on a Friday afternoon or whatever waiting to cash their paycheck. Others would cringe at that because... They're creatures of habit, and they like to have cold, hard cash in their hands, or they just don't feel safe about it. But even then, what happens when cash is is no longer accepted, which is what happened in some places during the pandemic? Because it was viewed as, you know, dirty money. I can't hand you money because you might have the coronavirus, And I don't want to hand you back money that somebody else has touched and I put it in my till and then I count back to you and give you money and we're just spreading COVID around. So that's why the money went away during the pandemic. And if you didn't have a credit card or a debit card or a Google Pay app or whatever it was, and I'm not getting paid to say that, you just didn't get what what you wanted. But imagine living in a world without banks, without a place that you could go and basically exchange cash, not for goods, because you do that at the retailer, but exchange some sort of digital token, whether it's a check, whether it's a money order, whether whether it's an automatic uh, deposit or whatever. And then turning that into paper, which then you take down the street and you hand to someone. 
I mean, in 2022, it seems like even that concept is a bit antiquated, or am I high? <laughs> if I was high at this moment, which I'm not, you know, I couldn't even make this stuff up. Because the reality of this is that it is far more scary than any fantasy that I could sit here and make up. But if you look around, you'll see the signs. I see the signs. The Fed looking to slow interest rates, although that's still going to be higher than was forecasted. And the smart people understand that we are in a recession. Two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, those are in the books. So there's really no argument there. And it seems that we are on the brink of an exclusively digital means of doing business. I don't know how far away it is exclusive, but it's rolling out actually now. And uh, if you're not on board, you think it doesn't affect you. I mean, the truth of the matter is that banks make their money off of deposits and the ability to use your money to then lend down to somebody else. But with cryptocurrency and with payments happening digitally and automatic, direct deposits, payments through a variety of means, I'm not going to name them because I'm not getting paid, but all of those apps basically that you use to send money back and forth, that's the way that it is headed. And so besides getting, you know, as I said, physical cash or really depositing cash, there would be no need to go to a bank. The conversation you would need to have in person, you could have over the phone. The application you needed to fill out in person, you could fill out on the internet. Everything can, and in my opinion, eventually will be done online, which we've discussed about the dangers of that. Once everything is online, it can be turned off, and especially things that have to be powered can be turned off. So in this day where you know cash is in still some cases, not accepted, even after the pandemic, which some would argue whether it is after the pandemic or not, you literally have to have a card, in some cases, vending machines. I was visiting someone in in the hospital uh, a couple of weeks ago. The only option was credit card, debit card, whatever. So if you're there and you need a snack or a drink, you only have that option. Now, that's a, that's a preference. That's maybe not a, a necessity. But in some cases, the places where you go to get those necessary items, they may not take cash. And if they do, for not much longer. So I believe that the signs are actually telling us what's about to happen. Because in most cases, the masters do a pretty good job if you actually pay attention To what they're saying, a lot of uh, people would say, well, if their lips are moving, they must be lying. But if you listen to what they're saying, they're actually giving you a heads up of what is actually going to be. And I believe that cash eventually is not going to be king anymore. Everything is going to be digital. Um, We're pretty much already there. Uh, when you look at uh, you know taking money to the bank or withdrawing money, there's already a digital record of that transaction, and really taking you know a check to the bank to deposit it is only a promise from someone else that they've agreed to pay you amount uh, or vice versa. You've agreed to pay them an amount, and so this number is just 
taken from their account and put into yours. The bank being the middleman is really an unnecessary a part of this chain. And I'm not talking about a blockchain. And it can, and I eventually think it will, be done exclusively online as we head away from things being done with cold, hard cash. The problem with that is cash cannot be tracked for the most part when it goes from hand to hand, such as a digital currency could. You get where I'm headed? More to come on our program. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. On the brink into the paranormal. We'll be back. Paranormal News. A small asteroid that dropped meteorites over southern Ontario, Canada last weekend was seen mere hours before landing around Lake Ontario and likely breaking apart. Dozens of witnesses near Toronto reported a bright fireball with some cameras capturing images early Saturday morning. The rock, less than three feet wide, was spotted coming from the direction of the main asteroid belt between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. NASA's scout system calculated where it would hit and the probability of hitting Earth's atmosphere at 25%. It is only the sixth time that an asteroid has been spotted before impact. An astronomer in Hungary detected a larger space rock this past March, only two hours before it burned up above the northern Atlantic Ocean. I'm George Henry, Paranormal News. Sam Bankman-Fried, who founded crypto exchange FTX, quickly rose as the savior of the industry. FTX didn't have enough liquidity or cash to give money back to all of its customers who were trying to withdraw it. Huh? Prosecutors had opened a probe of FTX months before its collapse, looking into its U.S. and offshore operations. It took just days for the crypto exchange FTX to go from a $32 billion business to bankruptcy. A court filing showing the crypto exchange owes its 50 largest creditors more than $3 billion. Is there a broader systemic issue here in the way customer funds are being used among crypto companies? FTX was, up until last week, the second biggest crypto exchange in the world. I think this is going to bleed into the economy. Generally, that's going to be bad. Into the paranormal. On the brink, I'm Jeremy Scott. It does seem to me that we are headed away from a cash system to a cashless System, a digital system, a one that can be tracked, unlike party-to-party transactions with cash, and uh, into an era where every transaction uh, is going to be recorded, and uh, no doubt uh, will also be scrutinized. You know, there's a reason that that proposal from the White House uh, for the IRS to audit 
every bank account over $600 in transactions per year, which is, you know, the majority. I think most people with a bank account have more than $600 a year pass through it. That's $50 a month. Uh, there's a reason that that was shot down. Uh, you'd be Besides the, the invasion of privacy, there may not be a need for that oversight uh, when it seems that we're headed into an era of a digital currency where everything then is tracked and would be regulated at some point. Once we get through uh, such a situation where maybe the banks collapse or maybe these uh, private exchanges dealing in cryptocurrency can no longer survive and the, and the government has to step in and, and do something. I mean, J.P. Morgan, within the past week, has registered and patented the J.P. Morgan wallet under the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, which allows them to offer crypto and Bitcoin services, including the creation and management of virtual checking accounts is what i was discussing you you would your payment from your employment or wherever you get your checks from would go to this virtual checking account tied to a an online profile basically that that exists of you and uh, far more smart about how this might look after we get through a situation where it all collapses and we have to then build it back up because it does seem that an economic collapse, if not on this front, maybe on another front because we haven't even talked about how real estate is certainly maybe even the smaller outfits, how some of them are pulling back and really just servicing what they have but not taking on any new investment properties. And I could go on and on all night. But we have Max Borders here, who is author of After Collapse, The End of America and the Rebirth of Her Ideals. He's executive director of Social Evolution, which is a nonprofit startup dedicated to liberating people and solving social problems through innovation. It seems like we need a lot more of that in today's world. In addition to After Collapse, he's authors of the books The Social Singularity and also The Decentralist. So good to have Max on the program. Good evening. Good evening. I'm very happy to be here. What you've heard on the program tonight, uh, do you think I have uh, I've misstated anything? I've overstepped it a little bit. Do you think that the overwhelming consensus, and maybe even beyond a consensus, because there certainly have been some indications that it's more than just a thought, is that you know cash is only going to last for so long, and then so the conversation is, replace it with what do we replace it with something that uh, is left up to you know private businesses entrepreneurs uh, angel investors whatever and and hope it works out because we've we've seen how that works or does the government take it on do they get somebody like JP Morgan uh, you know a bigger company involved and uh, start to rein this in I guess do you have any thoughts on on this I have I have quite a few, and in fact, I, um, I, I'll go ahead and say that uh, I'll just lay my cards out on the table. There, there's an old there's an old saying. I think you may be familiar with it. Hopefully, your listeners will be too. Um, since uh, that there are no angels. If there were angels, <laughs> we wouldn't need <laughs> we wouldn't need government. But the problem is that there aren't any angels in government either. Right. So 
the, the, the American founders at least thought we had, we needed checks and balances. And these checks and balances would allow these different, uh, you know, this fractured government to sort of represent a check one against the other in each of the individual branches. But you, you got to realize that on about 1913, the United, uh, United States Congress sanctioned the existence of the central bank. And prior to that, there were many different eras of what was known as free banking. So there were competing monies, and you could count on this money or that versus some other money. And there was some, you know, there were concerns about volatility in that and, and certainly economic uh, booms and bust cycles. But those booms and bust cycles uh, persisted after 1913. And we have a very, today, a very, very activist central bank, particularly after 1971, when the United States was taken off the gold standard. And if your listeners aren't familiar, the idea of the gold standard gives you some, a bit of discipline with respect to what your government can do in terms of how much money it can spend, because it can't go too far into debt with uh, a gold standard, right? Because you can't simply print the money. But since uh, Nixon decoupled the United States from the gold standard, and most other countries have followed suit by getting rid of the gold standards, we have a situation now in which the, the Federal Reserve is able to, pr- to print whatever the Treasury needs, except we have reached a point now where all of this money printing has got, gotten us into a situation where we're starting to see serious inflation. And as the serious inflation causes economic troubles for people, the people, the voters, are going to want to agitate for more, more goodies, more help, more handouts these sorts of things. And of course they would, they've become dependent on the state's largesse in the form of welfare, entitlement, uh, you know, uh, retirement funds, and so on. So now we're in a situation where there is a political expectation on the part of the people to have more and more, especially in times of trouble. But now we're in a time of trouble and the more money we print in order to accommodate these needs, the more we're going to see inflation, which is going to cause pain and that is, of course, is a, a kind of economic death spiral. The question before us now is what is the government and the central bank, and purportedly these are two different entities, what are they going to do about it? I can't say. A lot of people think that, that the wizardry can only last so long. And if the wizardry can only last so long, this kicking the can, this thing to uh, it to intercede into the complex workings of, a, of a, an economic ecosystem, the likes of which we've never seen on earth before, and that is, that is you know, the United States government, we're starting to see serious problems, problems that the, the wizards in Washington can't resolve. And I'm, and I'm frankly worried about it. And that's why I wrote After Collapse, because I wanted to be able to propose an alternative to the system we have. Okay, we've got to get to that alternative, but talk about first what is not currently working. It seems like the system is you've got startups and they get money uh, in order to basically get their fundage started. And correct me if I'm not describing this correctly. And then people invest into said startup. Uh, Eventually, those people are going to want their money. The people who put their money into it using it as as a bank may eventually want their money out of it, 
And if there's a run, kind of like you know the old school run on the bank, uh, we've got a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's um, I you know we have uh, since since the the Great Depression, we've had FDIC. You've probably seen that on the sticker of the bank. If you walked into the to a bank, exactly, uh, you'll see that FDIC. And that's 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 basically saying up to two hundred fifty three hundred thousand dollars. If you depart, if you deposit with our institution, the federal government will ensure that your money is safe up to that amount. Anything beyond that amount, they can't they can't help you. But the problem is we have a system called fractional reserve banking, and fractional reserve banking means that banks. So there's two different layers to this, and a lot of people don't realize this. Uh, there's there's the there's money printing that happens from the Federal Reserve. So if uh, let's say um, well, there's a big national emergency, like a oh I don't know a pandemic, and a bunch of people need help because the government shuts down the economy. So th- we got to get the money from somewhere. Well, let's just print it. But that devalues the each individual dollar in existence that we try to use to spend our groceries. And but if you put a number on a come, check, what does that do? Is it the, does it have the same effect as if you know actually printing the money? How are those two different? They're 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 not different if your check is is a fraudulent check. <laughs> it's I think the better the better example is probably counterfeiting. If we were to counterfeit uh, some dollars, like uh, you know, go go down in the basement and print print off a bunch of dollars, uh, the more dollars those of those dollars are out in the world, the less valuable they become simply because we're using more and more of those dollars to try to chase this, uh, as Milton Friedman would put it, the same amount of goods. So that's one layer of it. That's what the Federal Reserve can do. They have the power of the printer. The other piece of this is that our financial institutions are able to, when they they make loans to people, they uh, they, they don't just loan out the money that people deposit in the banks, although that is also true. They also make loans in excess of what they have on hand, which is called their cash reserves. And that's called fractional reserve banking. They print money by just loaning, loaning it out to people more than there's actual reserves on hand. And this has been common practice for, for decades. But the, the, when those two forces are in combination, what you start getting are some really serious macro-level accounting tricks. Um, and this is, this is known as leverage or debt to, 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 to put it in another, and I, I'll, I'll, I dare say a lot simpler way. The world right now has about $300 trillion in debt or leverage in the system, whether that's private debt or sovereign public debt. In other words, debt countries owe. And the global economic output in a given year is only $100 trillion. That's how indebted the world is right now. Now, as you know, it only takes one default to create a cascading effect among all of these banks and central banks, particularly as they're all lending each other money uh, to try to kick the can, as it were, with all these economic conditions. A little bit of debt in, in a modern economy is healthy. You want to be able to, you know, borrow money in order to start a business or, 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 or own a home or this and that. But if you have too much debt in the system 
And it, it becomes the case that more and more people in the system can't pay those debts back. Or, as in the case lately, we raise interest rates. Debt service, in other words, paying off the debt is higher and higher percentage, which means there's more and more people having trouble just paying against that debt. And if they start to default, that can have a cascading effect called a contagion through the entire economic system. And we could see something like a global economic collapse, like a Great Depression. I don't want to see that. I'm sure you, you guys don't want to see it mm. either. But boy, are we knocking on the door right now. Do you think that what we're headed through might be intentional in order to wonder sometimes. get us to where they want us uh, to lead us across the finish line, so to speak? You know, sometimes that, you know, that thought has occurred to me and, and, you know, you'll get beaten with the conspiracy theorist stick if you uh, make too many claims like that. So you got to have hard evidence, but there are a lot of ways in which the, the, the world economic, um, uh, the um, uh, World Economic uh, Forum has suggested with the, the, the Great Reset and so on that what they're really hoping for, because the, the easiest way to reset a people is catastrophe. Um, um, and, I, and, you know, the, a, a very common trope is, is after um, World War I, you know, of course, uh, Germany was broke after World War I, having having spent a bunch of money on the war. And in, in the inter, interwar period of Weimar Germany, they printed a bunch of money, and, and that, you know, that, that didn't go well. Um, Hitler came to power on a promises of get, pulling people out of poverty. And that's not to say that, that pulling people out of, out of poverty is some kind of nefarious plot. And I'm sure the people at the, the World Economic Forum and, and these other global bodies uh, believe that they're doing humanity a favor if you, if you put them in control. But that is the lure of power. I don't know whether or not this is planned, but sometimes uh, just basic sound economics would tell us that the things that the government, the, our governments and central banks are up to these days, it's either, it's either unplanned but the powerful special interests are running the show, and there are forces at play that, that, that are rather unstoppable, including voters who want to be helped during, during bad times, uh, but also special interests who ha have their hands extended in, and are, are going to give something in return, namely power. So I, I don't know, but I am suspicious, and, I, and, and in my suspicion, uh, it causes me to to look at both both the dynamics of what's known as public choice theory, which is the collude basically the collusion between between uh, big, big business and big government on the one hand, and then there's uh, obviously those those power players who just who want complete control. And there's nothing nothing better than a catastrophe to 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 scorch the earth and uh, prepare the way for the powerful to come on and, and take control. Mm -hmm. I hope we don't see that. Um, and, and, and so, you know, um, but, but I'll, I'll talk about the after collapse uh, scenarios and uh, in, 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 uh, when you're ready. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm just wondering you know, if it took 
$250 billion or whatever to basically give the banking sector, the financial institutions, a bailout in 2008. I'm sure we all remember that, or maybe some of us have forgotten it. Uh, now we have a situation mm-hmm. where we may need uh, we may need to do it again. Well, this is the this is the thing. Um, the same uh, the same tools that were available to Ben Bernanke in two thousand eight, and most of those banks didn't need bailing out. Uh, they let Lehman Brothers and um, the other one uh, it escapes me, but Lehman Brothers was one. Bear Stearns. They let those two collapse, if I'm not mistaken. Those those fell, and I believe Wachovia Bank and a couple of others countrywide. Some of these big financial institutions went under, <clears throat> uh, but the other some of the other banks were quite healthy. But they made them take this uh, bailout money anyway uh, for perception purposes. But in essence, Ben Bernanke came up with this system of um, a sort of like printing money, but having them hold it in the banks, and it was a different kind of uh, money printing. And there was some, uh, you know, there's some weird, there's a weird shadowy financial sector uh, called shadow banks uh, that are involved in some of this stuff. There's also, um, if I understand it, uh, reverse repo, which is uh, these sort of backdoors between the central banks uh, and the financial institutions that allow, um, and, and swap lines that allow financial institutions that are in trouble to go to the central bank sometimes internationally uh, to be able to shore up their financial systems. But this is, this is um, more and more of this stuff is going on now. Uh, in Japan, for example, the Japanese have uh, what's called yield curve control. And that's a, that, that's a, a very fancy term. Um, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to explain it uh, honestly in simple terms. But I will. But I will say this: the Japanese, their debt is currently over 200% of their gross domestic product. So their their debt is is absolutely mammoth. It's it's it, ours is big at 130% of GDP, and we're headed towards the Japanese. And the Japanese are running out of tricks. the The Americans have the the benefit of having the world's reserve co- currency, which means everything is denominated in dollars in terms of sovereign debt, in terms of uh, when you when countries buy oil from other countries, that's done in dollars, that's known as the petrodollar. So there is a benefit, and it's just pure political po- power after World War II that allowed this to happen, where we became the world's reserve currency. But even now, our central bank, the most powerful in, uh, in the world, and the one that essentially calls the shots in a lot of ways, is losing power because it's almost out of money. It's almost broke. So even these massive central banks can go broke, and they've gone broke trying to repair, constantly interceding after having printed all this money so that we don't have another one of these hyperinflation scenarios like I mentioned before in Weimar, Germany. Um, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of things at you right now, and I realize that, so I want to take a minute just to step back and say, there are a lot of really, really um, smart people, but at a certain point, your economy becomes so indebted, inflation, uh, the inflation pressures become so great that there's not anyone smart enough, any single person in the world who's smart enough 
to tackle it on their own. All right, so uh, we're, we're headed there. we got to pause with my guest, Max Borders, who is the author of After Collapse, The End of America, and The Rebirth of Her Ideals. When it all breaks down, as it sounds like it is, where do we head after an economic collapse? If you think this hour was mind-blowing, just wait until you hear what's next. Into the Parabnormal. We'll be right back. There's a parallel universe There that separates us From all we perceive True reality Open the gate Let the truth be known It's more than least the eye It's part paranormal and part abnormal. There's nothing ordinary about what's on your speakers. Into the Paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Are we headed? Are we on the brink? I am Jeremy Scott. My guest, Max Borders, author of After Collapse, The End of America and the Rebirth of Her Ideals, Executive Director of Social Evolution, which is at socialdeskevolution.com. Uh, links to the book, uh, social media website, all up at paranormalradio.com. We've made it easy for you there. Click into this episode, which is number 540. During, I just had this thought during the break. During uh, COVID, it, I thought for a little while, you know, do I take all of the money out of the bank? Uh, and certainly we're not giving investment advice here. But I'm just thinking and like hide it under my mattress because I didn't know if this was some sort of scheme, but that I'm thinking, and then where would that money be accepted? And it seems like that may be the situation that's playing out now if folks do have a lot of Bitcoin uh, or uh, other cryptocurrency uh, and they all go to take it out at once or people go to you know take out all of their money out of the bank thinking that they're going to put it in cryptocurrency. Uh, that could cause some some really interesting things to uh, occur. In the event where it all does collapse, you know, the question would be, uh, where do we start to rebuild? And what would we change, I guess, then is next. So, Max, talk about some of the scenarios that would would be at play here as this uh, societal or rather economic collapse, uh, however we want to call it, starts to uh, play out. Right. I mean, this is this is the great question, and this is this this is the uh, this is the multi-trillion-dollar, hundreds of trillion-dollar question, right? Um, well, good. I hope you. Uh, I hope you get paid <laughs> that much off of this book. Uh, no chance. No chance. But I will say this: um, I have. My entire life, I've been resistant to the idea of being a prepper, but I am not anymore. <laughs> now, but let's back up for a moment, because we don't know what kind of magnitude uh, any kind of economic, uh, economic crash or collapse we're talking about. So let's use those terms. Let's talk about something that's more like a crash, more like a, a protracted recession. 
we're used to that. We went through one of those in 2000, uh, 2008. It lasted a while. It took us a long time to get out of it. The, it seemed like the more interventions that the government did, the longer it took us to get out. And I think there's a reason for that. But, but people, you know, reasonable people can disagree about that. But let's just say that the next, the next thing is, is one of those where it's like, okay, uh, there is, there's been a, a, a major recession, uh, even a minor depression, and we know we've, we've got to make change to the, to the extent that even the political class is awake now and realize that they're dealing in a different calculation. We've seen some precedent for this. So, for example, um, in New Zealand in 1982, they had a, they had a socialist government, a democratic socialist government, but they realized that they had to make a change, that there was no way they were going to be able to, to continue on as they did. So they began uh, a process uh, uh, under, under a guy, uh, an economic advisor named Roger somebody, and Rogeronomics is what it's called. And they eventually grew out. Now they're one of the wealthiest and stablest countries in the world. Um, same, with, uh, same with Ireland uh, in the early 80s. There's been a couple others who were near, near you know, economic catastrophe for just on the fiscal side from government, government fiscal side. And they had to make some serious and drastic changes uh, called austerity, austerity measures, which means the government stop, got to stop spending. But we've gotten ourselves to a point now where the, our debt is so deep that we've got not only to change policies, fiscal policy in terms of spending, what government spends money on, because it's simply not there anymore. And we've been running up the national credit card and it's burning hot now. Um, but we also, the only way to, to, for there to be wealth in the world is to create it. We can't print it out of thin air. There's just no magic to that. There is a, a, uh, a bunch of economists called modern monetary theorists, MMT. And uh, if you'll excuse my mouth, they're full of boop, and I'll go ahead and did the beep for you. The, Wonderful. The, 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 simple answer, the, the simple answer is uh, modern monetary theory is full of it. And the only way, the only way for there to be prosperity in this world is for productive people, entrepreneurs, and workers to, to create that wealth, to create surpluses in a system of, private, uh, of uh, uh, pr uh, free prices and productivity, profit, and loss. That is it. Good old-fashioned wealth creation. Now, there's an investor side of that, of course, and finance has a, has a role in that, but the only way to create uh, wealth is to work for it, and that's to increase productivity. So that the output of things that people want to buy and can afford to buy work in this virtuous cycle. What we have done is we're now coasting on fumes of debt that we've been running up and running up and running up to create this illusion of prosperity. But that, those days are running out. That cannot continue. And so the question is, when it runs out, what can we do? Well, the first thing we can do is hope and pray that like uh, uh, Roger Nomics, you know, like they did in New Zealand, that the United States government and Congress gets their head together in bipartisan fashion and says, okay, we're going to have a balanced budget agreement. We're going to reduce spending and get spending to a level of only the most basic things. And we're going to have to figure out places to cut. Now, 
Right now, you should all know that 60% of what our government spends money on is welfare and entitlement. That includes Social Security, Medicare, all of the things that people have actually already paid into that they expect to receive. But even that could be at risk because uh, Social Security uh, fund has run out. It's, the Social Security system is going to be insolvent by about 2030. That's not long. Maybe 2028. If that insolvency is going to hit very soon, but our our economic collapse may even happen before that due to the conditions that we're seeing now, the leverage in the system, the inflation, and so on. We have um, we have not only private debt but public debt at record levels right now. What we do about that in the next few years is going to be extremely important, and neither party in the last decade a series of decades really since yeah well yeah since i can remember has has there been either party been interested in reducing the debt but that has got to happen because the central bank can no longer can no longer play these financial tricks to kick the can down the road now what if it does collapse though what if we see not just a crash and a recession that requires discipline on the government what if the government completely runs out of money and we no longer have a, we no longer have Big Brother uh, um, or or Uncle Sam to turn to? And I I think this is these are two faces of the same entity, Big Brother and Uncle Sam. Um, I think what we're going to have to do is what we've always done in human history, and that is turn to each other. So we're going to have to continue to work to produce to be entrepreneurial. We may, and we may have to do that with limited resources and within limited means. We'll have to start investing more in, in features of life that we don't like to invest in. Uh, we call, I call that an investment, but like pay for things, find ways to make ourselves more secure. Because you can imagine in a situation where there's a really, really deep recession that there's going to be uh, predators out there. People, and, and these predators might be you and me. What would you do for, to feed your family, right? If we have, we, if we have 10, 15, 20% of, of the population formally having been dependent on the state's largesse and can no longer access that largesse, and, and we, we're, we're already in a situation of 10%, 15% unemployment, what are, what are people going to do? Yeah. We're going to have to turn to each other again lovingly and not as not as in, in violence. Now we of course going to need to defend ourselves. So investing in in you know self defense and all that good stuff and protecting your home is obviously a good idea. And and I would say that that's a good idea now anyway because crime is going up and up and up. But also we're going to have to return to a situation where we don't outsource our sense of responsibility to our neighbors, uh, to distant capitals like we've been doing since. You know, the great society initiatives where we, 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 we think of charity as something that comes out of Washington. No, instead, we have to go back to the days of mutual aid where we go to our church, we go to our fraternal societies, we go to the Elks Club, Lions Club, Rotarians, and those, those fraternal organizations mean something. We gotta have to turn to charity again. And that means really, really looking out for each other in terms of mutual aid. Um, so at the same time that we have to be more loving to one another, we're also going to have to be, probably have to be more mistrustful because so many dependent people 
are going to be uh, looking at you or me or people we love as prey as they try to feed their family. It's like uh, The it's Walking not, Dead, yeah. except we're not fighting zombies. Right, and we're gonna and we're gonna have to make a serious choice about whether how can and about becoming really really strong communities again. We've lost community in this country. When um, when Alexis de Tocqueville, the Frenchman, came over here in the mid 1800s, he saw a nation of joiners, people who were involved in all manner of civic associations and charities, and and we just joined each other in the church basement, in the fellowship hall, in the temple of the Freemasons, all of those things that we used to do as Americans were about looking after each other face-to-face. Sometimes we'd give you 10 bucks, but sometimes we'd say, put down the booze. And that, that feature of American life has been lost, both to the web. And I, look, I am a techno-optimist. You can You'll be able to see from my book that, I, you know, I, well, we can talk about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency in a moment. But, but, but the essence of this stuff is we've got to get back to looking after each other in mutual aid, where we, we, we rely on compassion, not state compulsion, to, uh, to butter our bread. Because the only other alternative is civil discourse, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's – right now we're losing that. I mean, that is a big, I mean, and, and your, your, your readers, uh, your, your listeners can see if they become readers of After Collapse, that one of the, the big problems in, is uh, our civil discourse is breaking down. Um, that we've got to get back quick. And that's going to happen when people join together in community. They have to learn to communicate respectfully, uh, lovingly, and they have to, to pull their weight, do their part as a member of the community. And you have to look after each other, both in terms of security and in terms of charity, uh, but and also in terms of productive work. You know, if 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 we've got able-bodied people out there uh, to rebuild this country, if there is a collapse, we're going to need to to be able to monitor shirking behavior. We're going to have to be able to monitor each other and say, okay, this this guy's putting in the effort. Let's help him out. His family's hungry. You know, that kind of stuff. So there's some real basics here. Um, that are not so much the high-minded things that I like to think about. Uh, you know, there, there's some really fundamental things that we need to get back to as a country, and looking out for each other is one of them. Yeah, interesting that you bring that up because earlier I was talking about you know the businesses that have basically that no longer exist uh, for a variety of reasons, and and so you can't rely on something that you have relied on for a long amount of time. It may not be there at one point or another. And as far as the belief systems, uh, many of us, some of us, uh, maybe is a more accurate way of saying it, uh, that, uh, have a belief in God, uh, have some sort of you know, faith that they live their life by. In such an economic collapse, is that bound to strain uh, some of those relations, you think? Uh, one relations can, one with can God? One guess. Oh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll people be people in, in a collapse scenario shaking their fists at the sky and wondering why God would do something like this. But I would say to those, especially the faithful, that right now we're talking, we are, we're in a, a situation much like the Romans were in the, near the fall of the Republic, the Roman, uh, the, the Roman Empire, rather. 
the fall of the Roman Empire was marked by bread and circuses. This was an issue, the fall of Rome was an issue of human systems collapsing. Um, they tried to extend their empires too, too far into, into Gaul and into Germania, and they, you know, start, you know, after a while, those Germanic tribes and the Galois started, you know, invading and, 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 and getting retribution. Uh, to keep them from encroaching on their territory. So that was a, that was a human systems issue. The other thing is that there was a giant elite patrician class, much like we have in this country, uh, where they just, oh, you know, just give them bread and circuses, right? It's, it's a, you know, redistribution. They kept counting on uh, all of these resources coming in from the, uh, from the, uh, the, uh, the extended colonies of the empire, uh, but that, that, that those resources start to run out after a while, and it becomes more and more costly to man, maintain that kind of empire. Well, we're doing that in the United States. We have, a, we have 800 military bases around the world right now, and that has, that has been, in, in large measure, a good thing in terms of protecting um, trade among the nations, and the world has gotten rich over the last 30 years in ways we have never seen before. Again, some of that is based on debt, but some of it is based on, you know, good old-fashioned entrepreneurship and trade among nations. But now we're seeing that winding to a close as the, as the human systems start to break down. Globalization is breaking down. Um, you know, the Russians don't want to play with us anymore because we're fighting a proxy war against them in Ukraine. The Chinese are hoping that the Russians prevail so they can get the Russian energy because Chinese are building their very strange hybrid state that is a scary monster as far as I'm concerned. Um, and they're having economic problems of their own. And when countries start having economic problems, they tend to want to go to war together. We don't want a war. Then you're talking about real economic collapse. But there are just so many things that could happen if we're not careful right now that go back to the idea of discourse, a good discourse among peoples, and, and, you know, between us and our communities, but, but further from that. Um, and, you know, of the economic systems we build that are, that are becoming more and more fragile, this fragility is going to, when all of this house of card comes down, we're going to see some things that we can't anticipate, but they're not likely to be pretty. Interested in your thoughts on whether or not all sorts of government assistance in a post, you know, collapse world, uh, whether that would exist. So we're talking, I guess, you know, maybe Social Security payments, uh, retirements, uh, food stamps, disability. I I guess the list really goes on. Uh, Maybe even payments for our veterans. And sorry if I'm leaving anybody else in that category. But would we have the infrastructure and and the ability, I guess, more like it, to keep those forms of payments, uh, which I guess are a little bit more crucial, uh, that those people have any sort of income. Uh, But if that's cut off, good luck, I guess, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the magnitude of of the collapse. If if it is such that the, the government can no longer print money uh, and we're in a time of hyperinflation, um, they, they can certainly send checks to people who are supposed to be, uh, who are entitled to those checks, whether that's for Social Security, welfare, what have you, uh, even, you know, veterans benefits. But all of those, those checks won't be worth 
the paper they're written on. I mean, they won't be worth a damn. It, so, like, that is, a, that is a serious possibility if we, if we get to that point. Um, and it, it's, it's not clear to me that the powerful are going to prioritize that. In fact, the worse things get, the more predatory the political class is likely to be. So I, I'm not hopeful about that. Um, that's why I say, uh, in, if, if, the, if the, it's severe enough, if, if there are no political solutions, if the, if the problem isn't staring down the political class in such a threatening way that they we're very close to collapse. So they say, okay, we've got to do something, um, where they may raise the retirement age, for example, from 65 to 70 or 66 to 70. Um, and some of these little nips and tucks to the system that will allow um, tax revenues from entrepreneurial activity to be, ex, you know, in excess of uh, costs and, and, and debt service, then the whole thing is going to go belly up. There are not going to be any checks. There's not going to be anything to support except, again, each other. And that's people in their churches looking out for, looking out for the uh, elderly and infirm. That's uh, our, our civic organizations, our fraternal societies, and so on. That's where we're going to have to turn if it gets that bad. But prior to that, there's my hope. My hope is that there is a phase where the instead of how much money can we spend to buy off constituency groups and special interests, which is the which is the government we have now, they say, okay, yeah, we've got to take care of the the most vulnerable in our society. Um, but we're going to have to just do that, and we're going to have to do it on a dime. And that is the political pressure against that kind of thinking is so strong right now, I can't even fathom it. Nobody, nobody would get elected today if they said something like that, which is just the honest God truth. That is the, that is the reality that we are staring down in the next five to ten years. And nobody's willing to acknowledge it. It is a scary reality. We'll continue this conversation with Max Borders, author of After Collapse, The End of America and the Rebirth of Her Ideals. These implications are wide-ranging tonight. We're just getting started on Into the Paranormal on the Brink. I'm Jeremy Scott. Normal news. The sun continues to put on a show. An unexpected solar flare smashed into Earth on November 6th, causing radio blackouts in Australia and New Zealand. It was accompanied by a coronal mass ejection that did not hit Earth. The medium-strength M5-class solar flare was recorded by NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory as it erupted from sunspot AR-3141. It has since grown and now has the energy of the largest of flares, the X-class variety. This one took scientists by surprise, but it's not the first time. Nearly twice as many sunspots as those predicted by NOAA have occurred during the current solar cycle. Meanwhile, the solar storms are being captured by spacecraft. NASA's MAVEN mission witnessed two ultraviolet auroras simultaneously in late August, including a CME that produced one of the brightest solar energetic particle events the spacecraft has observed while orbiting Mars these past eight years. And the 
European Space Agency's solar orbiter made its closest flyby yet, coming within less than a third of the orbit of the Earth around the sun last month. The large amount of data it captured enabled a movie of the sun's corona to be produced. I'm George Henry, Paranormal News. In a court hearing, the lawyer from FTX said a substantial amount of the group's assets are missing or stolen. Crypto brokerage Genesis has been scouring the globe for at least $1 billion in fresh capital for its lending unit, and it's privately warning investors that it might become the latest casualty. You're seeing U.S.-based retail investors losing their life savings. What's really the truth? Into the paranormal, separating fact from fiction. I say on the brink, I think we're on the brink of something, whether it is a conversion to an all-digital currency or maybe some regulation of the cryptocurrency. Uh, with the bankruptcy of of FTX, uh, a lot of people uh, have lost their life savings. Uh, and these were people who expected that the money was going to be there there was a run on the bank and here we are so as the banking system and as other systems begin to fall down such as we've seen of late the question tonight on the program is how much more we can handle uh, before that we we definitely break the system and we have to basically start over again and if we were to start over again and and build it back. We're talking with Max Borders, who is giving us an idea of what that would look like, author of After Collapse, The End of America, and The Rebirth of Her Ideals, his website, social-evolution.com. And I'll let you complete your thought and also throw in a plug for all the work you've done. I've got some other questions to throw at you, uh, but I want to make sure that we give you that time. And for those who are just tuning in, uh, I guess an introduction to you. So go ahead, Max. Well, I, I do appreciate it. Um, um, I, I I guess um, I would want just for a moment to, and I and I may just anger some of your listeners. A lot of people um, with this collapse of FTX, which for the uninitiated is a what we call a centralized exchange, that means it functions rather like a bank. When you log on to FTX or Coinbase or any of these other cryptocurrency exchanges, it's like you're getting uh, aligned with a bank. And this is makes it very convenient for people who like to trade cryptocurrency tokens and who like to uh, buy cryptocurrencies and not really have to worry about it. But there are tremendous risks there because your coins, your cryptocurrency is in the custody of these institutions. And FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried's exchange was enormously corrupt. They were basically taking people's money and trying to arbitrage in another one of their businesses using other using people's money, which was fraudulent uh, and 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 theft. It's it's just it's it's Bernie Madoff kind of behavior um, um, only, only in the cryptocurrency space. So what a lot of people are doing now is saying, ah, crypto bad, crypto bad. And the people who are really into cryptocurrencies understand that 
you really not only have to be able to trust the institutions in order to be able to 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 use a custodial exchange um but the original bitcoiners and people who are super into cryptocurrencies know that you should never leave your resources on an exchange most people do a great majority of people do because they don't understand it or because they want to easily trade so putting your token in a your tokens in a software wallet which is cryptographically protected it's like a vault that you control uh, people don't want to do that they're they're lazy and they want convenience but that convenience came with a very steep price so cryptocurrencies and the technologies that underlie them are still very sound particularly the original bitcoin is a very very solid store of value in fact the only reason it is volatile is because the people who have gained exposure to it uh, didn't understand it got spooked ran away and of course when when you ran away from run away from any commodity uh it, it's its price is going to drop so um well let's just say that you you know you you don't buy that and you're, you don't trust cryptocurrencies and you're like mm, i'm really into gold well I would say in, in, in a situation like this, you want to make sure that you have your gold in your hand. Um, uh, Bitcoin is a kind of digital gold, if, if you like. But if you're, not, if you're not into cryptocurrencies, I would suggest, and this is not investment advice. Um, if, you know, if anybody's listening who wants to throw me in jail, I'm not in a good position to give it investment advice. But I do know this. Um, there are only going to be, right now, the government and the, the massive financial institutions are trying to block the exit. They want to regulate you so that you adopt a digital dollar. This digital dollar is going to be an account with the central bank where they're going to be able to use your money as sticks and carrots to get you to do what they want to you to just like people just like the Chinese Communist Party is doing with the Chinese people right now it is virtually identical in its implications so if if you value your privacy if you value your freedom you should do everything in your power to make sure that we do not adopt these digital current these digital this digital dollar because the problem with anything to do with the financial system, whether that's crypto or traditional problems, Elizabeth Holmes, Bernie Madoff, and other bad actors in capitalism, doesn't matter whether it's in crypto or in the traditional financial system. The thing is, when you have a centralized system under someone else, a trusted, quote-unquote, trusted third-party custody, there is risk there. And the more you have to trust a third party, the more risk there is. If you put all your eggs in one basket, namely the central bank, then you have completely to trust that central bank. And of course, there is a, an unholy relationship between the United States government and the central bank already. If you think that the central bank is gonna be looking out for your best interest, then you also think that the United States government is going to be looking out for your best interest. And it, it, from where I sit, the cracks in that system are really, really starting to show. And that is a shame. I wish we could, we could trust our institutions, as they say, 
but there have just been too many instances of that have caused us to be mistrustful, uh, whether that's um, on the fiscal side, on the monetary side with the central banks, or just with government policies where they're, they've been spying on us. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, they have been mandating, you know, mandating substances that we put in our body in order to keep our job. If they can do that, they'll take money out of your account when, when that, that day comes. They are racing to institute this digital dollar so that they can tax us uh, out of the problem that they created and control the population. I, I know that sounds like conspiracy theory, but what else would, su- would such an incentive system do if it was controlled centrally like that, but give someone ultimate power? And I, for one, am not having it. Do you think it's it, it's time then for some sort of regulation? I know that's a controversial subject uh, within the cryptocurrency community uh, because I guess that's kind of the whole point. Uh, cryptocurrency, you know, it's supposed to be more secure. Not necessarily is always the case, though. Well, yeah, I mean, the, depends on which technology you're talking about, and this is the this is the what I mean by getting. Uh, if, if people you hear people say crypto bad. That's, that's, that's not exactly right. That's like saying capitalism bad because Bernie Madoff happened or Elizabeth Holmes got caught, you know, uh, with fraud. Um, there's a lot of bad actors whenever there is value anywhere. Um, and yes, there have been hacks. And uh, usually these hacks and usually these frauds and scams and Ponzi schemes happen with centralized third-party uh, custodied systems. In other words, FTX was not a decentralized exchange. Decentralized exchange allow people to exchange uh, a value through computational means that are cryptographically protected. It's not completely fail-safe, but it is a heck of a lot safer than using these other systems. But maybe maybe you don't want to hold any. Maybe you just want to hold a good store of value like Bitcoin in your software wallet. That's a good idea. Still, many of your listeners just may not be very trustful about that. And I understand that because a lot of these, a lot of these individual pieces get, get tarred with the same brush, which is crypto bad. Something big and bad happens like Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX goes under and they think the whole industry is, is problematic. But there's really, really interesting and strong technologies emerging. And if you think about it like an ecosystem, ecosystems, and the, the life in those ecosystems evolved. And so what we're seeing now are selective pressures that are gonna cause more and more stable, secure, and, um, and useful technologies, particularly as, um, as the powers that be race to try to, uh, to extinguish them. It's just gonna make them stronger. They're gonna, these cryptocurrencies are gonna become more like, uh, like kudzu or or some other um, invasive species in the ecosystem, hardy, difficult to get rid of, and from the perspective of the user, you want that. But even if you don't trust that, I would still I would still say, not financial advice. Uh, look to precious metals. Uh, look to gold. I don't think the dollar. You know, if 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 things get really bad, the only option is going to be for the central banks to print money. And when you print money, you get higher inflation. And when you get higher inflation, 
if our inflation rate stays where it is has been over the last year or so, within 10 years, the value of a dollar will have been cut in half. So our, your whole bank account will be reduced by half its value in 10 years at the current rate of inflation. That's not good. So if that process accelerates, if the political class starts agitating for more and more and more, which means the voters or the special interests or whatever, and you get all these spending bills coming back online because people are, because we're in a recession or whatever, then we're going to start to see again, more and more inflation. And when you couple that with the problems in the energy sector, some of which are self-imposed problems by the current administration, you're going to also see energy problems. I happen to be lucky enough to live in the state of Texas, which is an energy rich state. So if things go very, very bad, I'll at least be in a place that has a lot sitting on a lot of energy resources, but not everybody can say that. So, you know, we, we, you have to think about, about uh, security as opposed to, you know, trying to don't, don't think of uh, a lot of people, the people who think of cryptocurrency or, or gold as a, a way of trying to get rich. That's not, uh, that's not to me the wisest uh, approach. Instead, we should start thinking about what's going to be the, the, the soundest money. You know, Bitcoin has a, an extremely predictable monetary system. It is unchanging. It is virtually impossible. The consensus mechanism for changing it would be impossible. The only thing it has is liquidity with other things. But very soon, the things that would be liquid with Bitcoin are not something you're going to want to trade it with. For example, U.S. dollars, as those dollars go down, down, and down in value. And that's hard. It's hard to argue that lately because Bitcoin has been so volatile. But that's really because a lot of people who don't really understand the technology and don't understand the properties of a digital commodity are spooked by it and and sell it off really quick. Um, and that's hey, the market does what the market does, right? There's nothing I can say about that. But if if you have people locking arms in solidarity around Bitcoin it would maintain its, its value. And the more people adopt it worldwide, the less volatile it'll be. It won't be like you or me jumping in a lake making a big splash. It'll be you and me jumping in the ocean, and that's a, a far smaller splash. Max, I'm interested in some thoughts on what a tax system would look like then versus now. Uh, would there be an IRS? Uh, what do you think? That, that I have no idea. Um, and the reason I say that is because the system that I, the kind of systems that I propose in After Collapse, uh, the book for the After Collapse, after the collapse scenario, would be more like what the original founders envisioned for this country. And that would be, for example, Thomas Jefferson warned and warned and warned and fought against Alexander Hamilton not to form a central bank for the very reasons that and he warned us about this, and he was right. Thomas Jefferson was right. Hamilton was wrong. And the, the New York banker class will not like for me to say that, but that's just, that's just tough. Um, and, you know, because we're seeing the shenanigans of the central bank since, since 2008, and they haven't stopped. So Jefferson warned about that. But Jefferson also warned about, um, about adopting the Constitution as it was, along with the anti-federalists. The anti-federalists, in the Federalist Papers, you'll see the Anti-Federalists and the Federalists, and they argued with each other. 
But more and more each day, I'm starting to see that the guys who lost that debate then turned out to be right. And, and what that means is, as an implication for reconstituting our system is that we might look a lot more like Switzerland, for example, which is to say Switzerland's cantons, the, the, the provincial or state-like entities within Switzerland, the cantons, are as powerful as their federal government. And what that means is they operate semi-autonomously within the whole of Switzerland. We were supposed to be designed that way as a republic, and we weren't. And in my mind, we should go back to that. We should decentralize power because when you have, if you have, whether you have 50 jurisdictions or 500 jurisdictions, what you get then is more opportunities to vote with your feet. I mean, right now, half the state of California has moved to my state, Texas. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina, but I live in Texas. Half the state of California has moved here. And my old state, North Carolina, from what I hear, half the state, half the Northeast has moved down south to North Carolina. And this is due to what we call jurisdictional arbitrage. There are greater opportunities to have healthier institutions. We could virtually dismantle the federal government, reduce it only to maybe defense function or something like that. And then we could have 50 different competing jurisdictions to see who can attract and retain citizens as if they were customers. And some of these jurisdictions could be even privately managed. I don't know. But the same with the banking system. You could have competing currencies. You could have uh, different, ex different kinds of systems with different expectations on what is required in terms of reserves for a bank. You could have, you know, uh, commodity standards like a gold standard or, or a basket of goods like oil, gold, whatever that you think would achieve price stability, uh, you could have this basket be uh, pegged to your currency. But we don't get that kind of experimentation, that entrepreneurial experimentation from different jurisdictions and different governance systems. What we get is a monolith. We get a bunch of people in Congress who determine and then they seal it in amber, basically, unless they want to add to the hardship. Basically, these laws get sealed in amber and they're hard to change. The special interests build around them, and, and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier uh, on the backs of the people. That's what we're seeing. And in my after-collapse scenario, I believe we can have a decentralized order where we have many more powerful, more local jurisdictions where citizens can become more engaged because they're actually, actually dealing politically with their neighbors for things that not just a national spectacle that we practice every four years where we cry our teardrop in the ocean and expect the tide to turn, we actually get involved civically locally. And local authority, in my mind, is where it's at because there's a lot more accountability, a lot more transparency, and a lot more options to leave if it sinks. Max, I really appreciate you coming on the program tonight to outline your scenario. Yeah, I can say it's not the most promising uh, of scenarios, but at least we have to have a plan. We have to have a plan to rebuild or at least a knowledge to know what it might be like in order to come up with the plan. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, I appreciate that. No, it's not a rosy picture. Um, and I tell you, I'm an optimist. Uh, I really am. And it probably doesn't seem like it after we've been talking tonight. But I think once we go through hard times together as a people, we're going to come out of this stronger 
more decentralized, more communitarian, uh, more neighborly, and more loving. Uh, the term decentralized, uh, how do you define that? That just means breaking up a great center of power, like the federal government, into smaller, central, uh, more decentralized centers of power. So, for example, um, you know, uh, maybe we have, you know, the, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment used to mean something, but it doesn't anymore. The Ninth and Tenth Amendment of the Constitution says that, that anything not enumerated or detailed in the Constitution, those powers should be reserved to the state or to the people. That is completely ignored. It's as if those, those amendments to the Constitution don't even exist to this day. And all I'm saying is it's a very simple matter that um, we enforce the law as it is, move the power to the states and to the counties and to our local municipalities. And that way, if there's a failure of governance at the state level or the county level, it's not catastrophic for the whole. But we're getting so top-heavy with power in this country that when federal government finally screws up, it's going to screw up for everyone. That's why we don't need a big top-heavy federal government. We need lots of little governments that compete uh, with offering us better governance. And that's all, that's all decentralization means. Max, we appreciate you coming on the program. It was an awesome time having you on the show. I really appreciate it. I had a blast myself. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I highly recommend his books. He's got three of them now. After Collapse and also The Social Singularity and also The Decentralist. Uh, I hope you and yours have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I've certainly been blessed this year, and uh, it looks like those blessings are going to carry us into 2023. Uh, It is thanks to your support, so please continue. Uh, However you are supporting the program, we do appreciate that. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon, somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest... Until next time, which would be a week from now, I'm Jeremy Scott. Good night and God bless.